Today's reading is Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. It can be found on page 908 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. (laughs) Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others have been made eunuchs. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. The word of the Lord. Let me just say, uh, I don't always like have a, a caveat or comment, but um, I process, this is a heavy passage for me to process. And I process it, although some of it may feel kind of harsh, just because to communicate Jesus' words, he was being kind of harsh intentionally in certain ways. But I process it from a place of having, you know, I'm thinking about um, three marriages over the last, like, five years that I've um, been sort of in the ditch with as they were um, on the cliff of divorce. Um, and so I just want you to know where I'm at as I process it, and I'm aware of the deep need for this extreme teaching, but also the, the deep reality and hurt and pain that many will experience just being, a part, just being in the room um, with a discussion like this. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we come into this room from many different places on the spiritual spectrum and in our experiences today and with our view towards marriage, divorce, singleness. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit would um, descend upon us as you already, I know, have been in this place as we've been singing and praying and that you would draw us closer to you as we see that we're all in need of your grace and we are all broken, may we also see that you move towards broken people, broken lives with your grace to take on 
the burden of the brokenness and to give us a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light through your grace. Do that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We asked last week, and this is where you can, you can answer the question again today. There's another question in the worship guide that you can answer on those cards. And this keeps the conversation going if you do that. Last week it was, what's a good tip for making marriage work? You don't have to be married to have insights in this. And there's a lot of good ones. I don't know if I can read all of them. One person says, understand that your commitment is to the marriage. You are not committing to a broken person like your own broken self, but to an image God gave us of Christ's commitment and love for the church. And then it says, dot, 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 and lots of good sex. Is there like two very different? Someone says, rely on God, pray together, practice forgiveness, know that your marriage is God's idea. It's bigger than you. Hang, on, hang in there, it's worth it. Ask for help. It's about, about 10 different answers in that one. Um, someone says, never married, but my guess is pick your battles. That's a good one. Don't worry about fairness and equality, someone else says. Another person says, Don't go into marriage looking for someone to complete you. Be willing to sacrifice in order to complete someone else. Also, ask people you trust their opinion before you commit, and then love generously, selflessly, with humility, and with a complete disregard for keeping score. (laughs) That's good. Um, I have a few slides, um, and the first one, I don't know if we can pull up the slide of the first picture. I want to talk about four different kinds of glue. <laughs> the first kind of glue is, let's, I'm just going to call it pretend glue. Make, make-believe glue, right? Kindergarten glue. And let's move on to glue number two. So here we've got wood glue, which is good glue. <laughs> and it works, and it does stuff. Let's move on to the third one. Super glue, right? Super glue's great glue. It does all kinds of crazy things. It could fix these glasses if they broke. And then last of all, crazy glue. <laughs> and I don't know if you remember those commercials, but crazy glue, you know, the kind of glue that makes you say, I want to put on a hard hat and attach myself to a construction beam. <laughs> crazy glue. Consider these as templates for uh, how we look at marriage and the marriage commitment. And if that is it, you know, sort of this sort of pretend over on the one end of the spectrum and this like crazy stickiness over on the other end, what does our culture need right now? Which, which direction do we need nudging? Um, let me read something from s- someone wrote in the New York Times. And within this article, I won't explain it all, but I'll just give you the part I want to talk about, or I want to inform us. This writer named Dave Bohe, who I looked him up, and he works primarily in his life on making marriages good, saving marriages, keeping marriages healthy. So that's his line of work. And so he says there's five basic rationalizations that are very common as marriages pull apart. So just think about how these kind of maybe inform us on where our culture is at. One of them is, I need to, uh, this new person that I've met, outside my marriage, 
um, feels like a soulmate. And it would be wrong to ignore our feelings. That would be living dishonestly. So that's like a rationalization, number one. Number two that he sees really often. As I think about stepping away from the marriage, I feel like I'm really the victim here because of all these ways that people make me want to feel bad about doing that. And because I can't have this thing that feels so right. Here's the third one. If people have kids, our kids will be okay. To put it simply, they'll come out of it all right. I know it'll be tough for them, but we'll spend the rest of our lives making it better for them. Um, And then... Another one is, what, actually what I'm doing as I step away from my marriage takes bravery and courage. I'm doing a courageous thing. And then fifth um, is basically, to summarize, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. So why do you put this ridiculous standard on me in this one area? I just couldn't you know, live perfectly and hold the marriage together. Nobody's perfect. All right, so there's some of our cultural nudge. The author says this, As a sad divorcee, talking about himself, after many years of marriage, I can only say, bless you, I can only say that there is value to loyalty and vows for life. There will always be someone more attractive, more interesting, someone with more sparkle, and marriage is about working to make the relationship have the depth and intimacy with your spouse to resist that fact. The fact about the sparkle. That is what you promise to do when you take those vows. That's Dave Bohe. Um, It's easy to play games with a strong view of marriage and marriage vows. It's easy to grab hold of a rationalization that is more informed by just the, the flow of culture and the moment within culture within which we live. And this goes with, this is not just a married people sermon. This goes whether you're single divorced, married, you're all going to enter into this this uh, today and it's going to inform you. So it's easy to play games today in today's world. It was just as easy to play games in Jesus' world with that you know, strong view of vows. And that's what we see actually going on in this passage as people come to Jesus and they're trying to get him to play the games of you know, the rules of marriage. To give you a sense of where marriage was at in the first century Jewish community of Jesus' day, there is an ancient historian of that century named Josephus who, who summarizes it. I could go into a lot of like technical things of how they viewed marriage in that day, and I'm going to avoid that to get to the point today. Um, but this is what Jose- how Josephus summarizes it. He who desires to be divorced from the wife who is with him, who is living with him, for whatsoever cause, and with mortals, many such causes arise, he puts in parentheses, must clarify in writing that he will no, have no further intercourse with her, for thus, with this writing, still the woman uh, obtains the right to consort with another, a thing that before which must not be permitted. Um, so that gives you a sense. What was the phrasing that he said? Whatsoever the cause. Um, There were different schools of thought about how to interpret an ancient 
Deuteronomy 24 scripture passage that in the passage went like this. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house. And if after she leaves, now I'm just going to stop there because there's more. You can tell how it's like just kind of setting up for something. Um, In Jesus's day, they basically did just kind of stop there and not take that first part within the whole realm. And they got really fixated on how it says um, this, that a woman becomes displeasing to him and um, there's something indecent and he writes her a certificate of divorce. They kind of took that and said, okay, there's the rule. There's the law. Um, this is what we're allowed to do. And so they're coming at Jesus, trying to fit him into that, um, you know, which school of thought was he in, because there were different schools that took this one way and that way, but basically there was a whole spectrum, and a huge part of the spectrum was, like Josephus says, it's basically super easy to walk out of your marriage. And we have the, you know, the biblical religious background to do it. This was familiar terrain for these people asking this question. They're game-playing just like we are, just like our culture does. And they're trying to trap Jesus and fit him within to their games that they're familiar with. And Jesus in reply, so I could have gone a lot more into that background and I'm just going to put it aside. So if you want more of that, there's books out there galore about what was going on back then. Jesus, though, let's move on, he accomplishes a few points as he replies. Um, First of all, Jesus shows us the importance of the Bible. Because his way of entering into this is to basically beat them at their own game, is one way to put it. But also notice for us in today's world where there's a lot of your friends say, and maybe you come today saying, I don't know about looking at this ancient book to guide me in today's problems, things like divorce or marriage. Jesus has no problem going into this from a scriptural point of view and saying the authority on guidance for life here is the Bible. It's one of the most clear ways that Jesus does this in in the New Testament. And so he goes into scripture. So that's kind of first thing to see that he does. Second is as he does that, he wants to have good handling of scripture. And so he doesn't allow the debate to happen in a selective, proof-texting kind of environment of using the Bible. And so he looks at the bigger story, basically by going back and saying, how was it in the beginning? He goes back to the... He's using much more than just this one little part of this one verse that they were going from. So he's doing good scriptural interpretation and not being selective. And then third, he's doing good handling of scripture by... Um, by not twisting the words of the text. So not only does he say, well, let's go back to the beginning, but he also says, when they say, it's, it's very interesting, they say, why then, in verse 7, why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her on his way? And, and Jesus, you can almost picture him rolling his eyes because his first words are, Moses permitted, right? So they had turned and twisted a little bit to support their game playing 
oh, we're commanded to do a lot of divorcing, in a sense. No, 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 Moses permitted. So just those three points about Jesus handling Scripture. And now remember the context, I want to be sure, of today. Please, when you're dealing with someone who's going through divorce or asking about marriage and divorce or they're single and they're trying to understand, don't, um, don't throw the Bible verses at them. Jesus is doing that because he's playing their game. They're obsessed in this realm, and he's like, I can play that game. I can beat you at it. Let's go there. Let's do it, Let's do it with Bible verses. They're game playing. Most people who you're going to talk to and friends and... They're not coming at you throwing Bible verses around in, a, you know, in like a game-playing kind of way. There's just a lot of hurt probably. There, I mean, there's probably some game-playing. Good to spot it if it's there, but don't throw Bible verses around like Jesus does in this text. That's not the lesson, I believe. It is. It's all about context. Because, And if you doubt me on this, look at how he talks to the divorcee at the well. The woman at the well. He doesn't do this kind of, game, this kind of scripture proof texting stuff okay so context matters now if you see those few points about the bible and jesus's handling of this um there's a big point that jesus ends up making a huge point it's kind of like the point and it's when he insists on talking about in the beginning he says haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female and then later he says Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. What's Jesus doing here? Well, if you put your kind of Bible thinking caps on, Jesus is dealing with the whole story of Scripture. And the whole story of Scripture, as you might hear me talk about a lot, is you can frame it as creation, kind of first phase one, fall, phase two, and that's all happened already by like Genesis 4. And then the whole rest of the Bible is the third part, redemption. And then the, part, the fourth part, which is often hinted at in, in this other part, but isn't, we're not in that part yet, is new creation. Some have called it different things like consummation. New creation. So, where is Jesus, where is the Pharisees' rule-playing, game-playing going, and where is Jesus' answer going? They're going into two different parts of that story. They're saying, all right, let's go into this, like, this time around in, when the fall happened and now sin has come and everything's messed up. And let's operate in the rules of the Mosaic law that were a response to the massive brokenness that we live within in our world. And Jesus basically says, I'm going to lean, well, he does it in an interesting way. He goes back to the beginning as a way of leaning in to the end. In other words, he says, we are now that I have come, we are entering into a new era. And it is more legitimate now because of Jesus to lean into the new creation than to lean into redemption and the fall. And so he says, you know, Moses permitted. He's basically saying the Mosaic law and 
and God's dealing with the ancient people of Israel before Jesus was the time of damage control. It had gotten so bad that he gives them the law, he gives them these permissions, he gives them these frameworks. But we, we're actually now, we're ushering into a new era where it's more legitimate, we're closer, you can think about it that way. We're closer now to the new creation, which, well, how do you think about that? Let's think about the beginning before there was sin, because it's going to be coming back to the way things were supposed to be. Jesus is ushering in a new era. We say, in our game playing, we say, come on, Jesus, nobody's perfect. And he would say, I think if he was here today, aha, funny you should say it that way. Because what, I, what happens now with me is a new era. We are ushered into where we actually lean into our perfection. We don't pretend we're not living in the fall. But that era of aggressive, fastidious rule following, there's actually a better way. You can be a better version of yourself as we lean into the new creation without the fastidious, aggressive, religious rule following, which often just becomes game playing anyway. So this is what Christians believe, that when Jesus rose from... He died on the cross for our sins, and then rose from the dead... We believe that when we're baptized, his dying and his rising become ours. And we become a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Some of you have read that passage. New creation. So, that's a good question to ask yourself. Are you leaning into the way things were meant to be? Or are you backtracking into the realm of rules? Now notice, just a, just a brief parenthesis I should always say, is that it's not like you're bucking rules to not, and then you know, sort of a, there's a lower standard. It's actually the old way of depending on the rules is not needed because there's a higher standard that can be achieved through Christ's resurrection. We're leaning into being a new creation. Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross and the sending of his Holy Spirit is a new era. We're leaning into the new creation. And so, and I'm actually getting close to the end, so um, this could have been really long. I, this, I'm, tell, I'm telling you, this is the flyby version. Um, and so, you know what I wish? I wish Christians... Uh, in Christian community, is we discuss things like marriage, singleness, sexuality, that our discussions would be asking not the kind of questions that the Pharisees asked, which are, tell us the rules, tell us what we're allowed to do. That our discussions would be all about how do we lean into the new creation, the perfection that we're going to arrive at someday because of Jesus. Um, I wish that we would just be absolutely filled with joy and excitement to have crazy glue version of marriages and of singleness and of being divorced. That there would always be this pushing and leaning into extraordinarily high ideals. And we could do that somehow because of what's happened through Jesus. And that you would see ver people who are living their single lives in radical ways that would shock the culture with regards to their sexuality. Gay or straight, 
you would see radical dependence and obedience on God. That you would see in marriages a radical crazy glue stickiness that overcomes the worst that we have to throw at each other. And there would just be, I mean, there would be just, well, Jesus goes this route, doesn't he? When he, um, he leans into it and he says, when, when he, he says, well, this is, there should almost be no divorcing. And then, and then you laugh. I love the laughter when he says, um, or what, no, the disciples say, uh, um, it's better just not to even get married. Oh my gosh, this is terrible. And in a sense, Jesus replies, oh, that's nothing. As, as, let me put words in his mouth and frame it this way. As we, as we lean into the new creation, oh boy, you should see what, what this looks like in community. And that's where he comes up with the even more crazy glue ridiculousness of this new what's possible. And he says, others have been made eunuchs and others have renounced marriage. Um, another good translation of that is have become eunuchs or lived like eunuchs because of the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that's like, whoa. And, and he, he's not giving a rule there, okay, because he does say, you know, some are given this like as a gift. The one who accepts this should accept it. Um, do you see how extreme it is, married or single? In the marriage department, Frederick Dale Bruner puts it this way. Marriage in this new kingdom, leaning into the new creation, marriage is a form of discipleship. Occasionally it is a cross, and sometimes it is a deep suffering by which disciples uh, can in an exemplary way show their loyalty to Jesus and to each other. Um, Also, I think uh, this crazy glue leaning into new creation stuff leads us to think about uh, singleness and even vows of celibacy and at least just talk about how they fit into this. Um, And so uh, Lauren Winter in her book called Real Sex, um, it's a a book about chastity, which is different than celibacy. Chastity is um, defined differently. And she says this, she was visiting, um, what's it called where the nuns are? The word's escaping me. Convent, thank you. Uh, I know it wasn't monastery. And then, so she's visiting with some students, some college students. And she says, and they're talking to this, this sister, and she says, finally, one bold history major from Queens asked what all of us wanted to know. What's the deal with not having sex? I was waiting for you to ask about celibacy, Sister Margaret said and, rink- and winked. Some people in the church, you know, want to make some changes so that people in religious orders no longer have to make a vow of celibacy, but I think it's an important and good part of our life here. Not everyone is called to this life, I know, and giving up sex is a very particular renunciation. But I think we have an easier time of it here together in our community than you unmarried people do out there alone in the world, which I think is very profound. And Lauren Winner follows it up describing, she says, uh, Christians, married or unmarried, have a lot to learn from celibate monks and nuns. For monks and nuns, the practice of celibacy begins with a vow. The men and women of religious orders come before their community and profess celibacy to God. Their community helps sustain their sisters and brothers in their vow. The essential insight of celibate members of religious orders is that transformation, including 
but not limited to the disciplining of their sexual desires, happens in community. Without the, pre- uh, the presence and commitment of the community, it would seem impossible for people to change. It would seem naive to expect people to be different from their parents or different from what their culture tells them to be. So like most spiritual disciplines, chastity is better practiced in community than alone. It is not enough for individual Christians to decide to be chaste. The church must be a community that works towards chastity, a community whose structures and rhythms make chastity seem plausible and attainable. I think that's what it looks like to lean into the new creation. Where do you get this kind of power? Where do you get the ability to even do that? How does Jesus give it to us? Well, I would say that uh, it's, the part, it's always the part of the passage that you miss that I'm intrigued by. Right at the beginning, the description is large crowds followed him and he healed them there. In the very next line, some Pharisees came to test him. Hmm, large crowds are coming just just to be healed. Just to be healed. Um, Small group of people come to test play games perhaps you could look at that as tendencies we all have are you coming to Jesus and playing some games or are you doing them game playing is often a cover for a deep need for healing a deep need for healing untouched and once healed this community here is a new creation or is a community of new creations with a crazy glue approach towards marriage and singleness and divorce and whatever place you find yourself in. Basically, let's go back to that beginning question. Which, which direction do we need to be nudged? Jesus' strong answer is, let's all look over there at the new creation. Let's, let's nudge. Let's just be going in that direction. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you are, go there. That's where we're headed. That's where we're going. That crazy glue thing. And we need each other in that. We need each other. So, um, I'll finish, but this is going to go around in a minute, and it's an interest sheet in having a conversation as a community on marriage and singleness, and you can kind of give your preference. Are you, in, are you more likely to be interested in the singleness side or the marriage side? And we'll kind of work out all the details of when and where and how that happens. So this is going to come around during the uh, offering time, And um, let's go to God in prayer. God of grace, help us to lean into our baptism and our baptismal identity. The old is gone. The new has come. And you now have done what is needed, and we'll look at the table of your grace in a minute, where we think about what you have done to heal us all the way down to the bottom of our brokenness and our hurt, so that we actually, it's more relevant to learn into our, to lean into our perfection than into our imperfection. Help us by your Holy Spirit to do this together. Amen.